All right, hello and welcome back to another edition of the Standig Room Only Podcast. I am Ben Standig and I do cover the Washington football team for The Athletic. I uh, wasn't sure I'd be back for a third podcast this week because it's not like we haven't had two great ones already. We had uh, Bruce Feldman from The Athletic and Grant Paulson talking with me post-draft. Uh, then midweek we had new Washington football team running back Jared Patterson for a one-on-one plus Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times-Dispatch breaking down sort of a bunch of questions and kind of where the roster is right now. But we don't stop. We had more to do. So here's what we've got on this episode of the podcast. I spoke today with Kentucky head coach Mark Stoops. Obviously, there's the Jamin Davis factor. Mark Stoops was also the defensive backs uh, coach for the Miami Hurricane for Sean Taylor's career. So I had a chance to talk with him about both of those Players uh, really enjoyed that conversation for sure. And then also our pal Mark Bullock uh, joined me. Mark Bullock, of course, you can find his work over on Substack right now. or Go follow him on Twitter at MarkBullockNFL. Uh, we talked about the latest on Landon Collins staying at strong safety. But what do we make of the safety situation now? We also talked about the tight end room. And um, we also got into a little bit about Jamin Davis and, and, and Mark's view of the first round pick and from a film perspective, how, how he is going to fit in with everybody. Uh, so we're going to get to all that and more, plus some breaking news uh, here on the Standard Room Only podcast, which of course you can find on iTunes or Spotify, anywhere you do your podcasting. Um, I don't think I've said it in a few days, but I always greatly appreciate it when everybody has a moment to leave a rating and a review. Everybody is so nice. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. It also helps a lot. So if, if you have a quick moment, especially on iTunes, to do that, it really goes a long way. I promise you that. And obviously, look, also, I don't say this enough, but, you know, tell your friends. Sub- tell them to subscribe to the podcast as well. And, of course, subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, there's you, you can join typically for around $3.99 a month. There's always some kind of a, a code on there. I have a one-on-one with Jared Patterson. Also did a depth chart story this week. And I will tell you that for Monday, the plan is, for me to do a story having talked to some scouts around the league about Washington's draft and what they thought. So that's all going to be uh, on The Athletic as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Standig. Um, I mentioned the breaking news. So while Mark Bullock and I were recording this podcast, it's about 5.45 on uh, Thursday right now. But Mark and I finished, I don't know, 45 minutes ago, give or take. Um, it came out that the the the, the Wizards that the football team is going to be bringing in former Bears tackle Charles Leno for a meeting. Um, I was confirmed that uh, news. So that is interesting, right? It's interesting on a lot of fronts. And Mark and I did talk about that. Uh, and, and so I, I won't step on it too much, but I've thought about it a bit more since um, since uh, we, uh, since we, 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 we finished. Uh, Charles Leno, 29, was with the Bears. Uh, he spent his whole career in the Bears, a former seventh-round pick. He started um, in 93 consecutive games. He was a pro bowler in 2018. Um, he would be an upgrade over what they have at left tackle. Um, but at the same time, they have a lot of linemen right now, right? I mean, I did in the depth chart preview I did for uh, the site the other day, I had them keeping nine linemen. That would be... Cornelius Lucas, Wes Schweitzer, Chase Ruye, Brandon Scherf, Morgan Moses. Then on the bench, you would have, um, uh, well, Sam Cosby, who they just drafted in the second round. 
Sadiq Charles, uh, who who am I forgetting here? Keith Ismail inside. Oh yes, and Eric Flowers, who they obviously just traded for right before the draft. And now I, I'm not. This is not me saying Flowers which, or Schweitz or starts or, or or anything like that. I'm just naming the players. So that's those nine. That's not even counting. Jerron Christian or Wes Martin or Tyler Larson, who they just signed from Carolina in free agency. Now, even if we discount Christian and Martin as just saying, hey, it didn't work out, they're going to move on, okay. But still, Larson is a guy they just brought in. And there's always, look, you need depth, and that's not arguing. By the way, we also have David Sharp and, and David Steinmetz, who were on the team last year, uh, you know, depth plays, but they were on the team at least to, to some degree. So that's a lot of linemen to now be bringing in somebody else. Now, again, Leno would be. Presumably, if he were to sign, he would be the starter. Now, I've heard, uh, well, let me put it this way. Logically, he's, Washington's not going to be the only team inv- interested in him. Uh, and yes, there are other teams interested. Is Leno's side sending him here to maybe push somebody else to hurry up and make a decision? Perhaps. Is Washington very much interested in him? I, I, don't, I guess very much, I can't definitively say, but they're, if, you're, if you're bringing the guy in, you're not just doing it for show. And again, he would be an upgrade. So if you have Leno at left tackle and, uh, you know, I think I saw somebody tweet that I haven't looked yet, but that pro football focus rated Lucas over Leno, uh, you know, look, we use pro football focus as a guide, but it's not definitive. And I think by most accounts, Leno is a guy who's, again, he started 90 plus games at left tackle. Lucas was a guy who filled in last year after primarily playing on the right side of throughout his career and not being a starter. So I think we could probably safely say that Leno would be the the, the, the better version there. And Cosme, you know, as I mentioned to you guys the other day, my sense was that he's a bit more of a project than not. So, which isn't to say he won't be a very good player. It's just to say maybe week one was a stretch. But again, we'll see. He'll be in training camp and, and we'll see. Here's the other thing I'm thinking, and this is pure speculation. Let's just put that out there to be clear. But I was already weird. I already thought it was weird that they that they made the Flowers trade shortly before the draft. That was a trade they had worked on for a bit, but at the same time, it was executed just a couple of days before the draft. Then you draft Cosby, which is a reasonable selection. You needed a long-term left tackle. But now, if in fact, again, nothing's happened. He hasn't even come here yet. But if in fact Leno were to um, sign... Boy, you've got an awful lot of players. And I guess part of me wonders, you know, still, I guess I'm just sort of wondering about the Brandon Scherf thing. Is it conceivable that without any known sign of movement between the Washington football team and Brandon Scherf side, could Washington be positioning themselves by adding, again, if they sign Leno, three offensive linemen in a week? Could that be a sign of possibly figuring out an exit strategy with Sheriff. Now, again, PB clear. I mean, I'm, I'm not anybody's interesting enough for you all to aggregate, but I'm just saying, I'm not saying this is happening at all. I have not heard this at all. I'm just trying to talk out loud here. This is, I was doing this a little bit with Mark and you could hear my brain breaking a bit. And I, and Mark had to carry the conversation for a minute as I was trying to tweet and confirm the story and think about it all. But it's just interesting. Of course, sometimes it's just the, the the obvious answer is the is the real answer, and that would be that he would be Leno would be an upgrade, right? So if he would be if he signed, that would be a pretty good tackle combo. Um, again, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I, I know much about his his season last year with the, with with uh, the Bears, but I think it was considered a little bit of a surprise that they released him. They did so they saved I think I saw about nine million towards the cap. The Bears drafted Tevin Jenkins. 
um, in the second round. So that kind of gave them the, the chance to move on. But if he were to start, then presumably Lucas would go back to being the swing tackle. Cosme would be there in the mix. You would then have Schweitzer, Flowers, you, either Schweitzer, Flowers, or I guess indeed Charles at left guard with Scherf on the right. And again, I'm not comparing that group to the Hogs, you know, to the Super Bowl champion the Hogs. But I'm just saying it's a lot of people there at guard. And to bring in three in the last week is interesting. I don't know what else to say beyond that right now, but we'll see what happens. Um, just, you know, something to keep an eye on. And look, if they do sign him, I mean, that's a that, that's a pretty good step up for the line that we've talked about all offseason needed uh, an, an, imp- an upgrade there. And, and he could he could do that. Um, just one other quick piece of information earlier today. It's been a busy it's been a busy day here. Um, the football team, um, it's, they have not announced this, but it was reported by our uh, Carolina Panthers writer Joe Person, who's been on this podcast before, that Jeff Bethard, uh, a scout with the Carolina Panthers, is coming to the Washington football team. Um, obviously, there's the connection with Ron Rivera and Marty Herney. Uh, the Panthers have a new GM in Scott Fitterer. He's going to bring in his own people, so those types of moves happen. Um, and Washington had an opening because Matt Evans, uh, a longtime safety, has decided to move on. But, of course, the other, if you, if you know this team, you know, the last name Bethard, yes, it is the son of Bobby Bethard. And, of course, Marty Herney got his start under Bobby Bethard. So there's a lot of connections, even beyond the usual Carolina to Washington connections. This one comes with with all kinds of of, of, of ties for, for sure. Um, so that's interesting as well. Um, all right, so we're going to get into these interviews. Really enjoyed the conversation with uh, Mark Stoops. Again, we talked about, um, gives, gives us some insight on Jamin Davis. He also got into some Sean Taylor uh, recollections and memories. Of course, a very special player for for everybody here in the Washington fan base, but also for for Mark as well. And uh, then Mark Bullock and I, like I said, we we talked about Landon Collins in the strong in, in the safety room. We talked about Jamin Davis and how he fits in with the linebackers, and we talked about the tight end room and and got it. And also, you know, sort of wrapped up the draft. Got Mark's take on whether he thought Washington was wise to ultimately uh, skip quarterback and and some other things. So. All right. So, uh, by the way, uh, I've already recorded. I'd already recorded this full podcast and had it all ready to go when news came out that Washington is going to be bringing in yet a second player. Uh, this one in a couple of days, Bobby McCain, Dolphins safety, or I should say, former Dolphin safety, who was released today. McCain started over fifty games with Miami. Played both safety positions, but post draft, Miami was the team that got the got Javon Holland from Oregon, who I've talked about before, that Washington had interested in. In any event, it, uh, McCain is coming in. Um, Adam Schefter first reported it. I, I haven't confirmed it the second, but presumably that's the deal. Um, uh, McCain was drafted by, me, by Miami in 2015 when Eric Stokes, currently in Washington's front office, was in Miami. Obviously, we know Washington needs um, free safety. So... Uh, that is new. <laughs> Does that change anything with the whole safety conversation that Mark Bullock and I had had? I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not, re, I'm not reshaping the entire podcast, but I did come in enough to add this much. So something else to keep an eye on for sure. There we go. Let's get to it. My conversation will start off with University of Kentucky head coach Mark Stoops here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. Pleasure to welcome to the podcast, uh, Kentucky head coach Mark Stoops. 
who uh, obviously there's a reason why we're speaking with him specifically. Uh, Jamin Davis has put us together, uh, Washington's first round pick and coach. I really, I really appreciate your time. Um, I kind of had a feeling that, that Jamin Davis would be in play for Washington. They needed a linebacker. He was one of those guys projected. But what's so interesting to me isn't just that he is the guy. It's that he's coming from your program, a program that has put a lot of uh, talent into the NFL lately, specifically at the linebacker position. You, uh, when, when you welcomed uh, or when you congratulated Jamin Davis to go to the pros, you had a hashtag recruit and develop. And you, that's what you do. You brought you, you Bud Dupree, Josh Allen, now Jamin Davis. Um, I'm just curious. Do you recall the first time? I love origin stories. Do you recall the first time that you kind of saw Jamin Davis and had a thought that maybe this was not just a guy who could play for my team, but also somebody that we could develop into w- what he's become? Yeah, definitely. Um, thanks for having me. Um, you know, just, you know, thank the world of Jamin. Um, you know, I know Washington been a great football player, more importantly, a great person, a great human being. He'll be uh, a great asset to that community. Um, but with Jamin early on, you saw that. You saw the length. You saw the athleticism. Maybe didn't have the strength and the weight at that point in time, but uh, you knew he had a burning desire to be great, work exceptionally hard. And so, you know, we knew we had a heck of a football player uh, in Jamin very early in the process and during recruiting. But, uh, you know, but, but Jamin did the hard work. You know, you have to credit him. He really, uh, you know, worked exceptionally hard, putting on uh, the strength that he did and continuing uh, to develop his athleticism. I think, you know, you put that in partnership with our strength and conditioning coaches and, and credit uh, those two together, our strength and conditioning team have, have done a wonderful job of developing talent. That's a big piece of it, along with his position coach, uh, John Summerall, and uh, defense coordinator, Brad White. Uh, they did a really good job. But, but Jamin uh, put in a lot of hard work, and uh, we're very proud of him. I mean, obviously, you mentioned, like, put it put in the work with his fitness. It's obviously off the charts when you just get a look at him. Uh, not You know, even for athletes, he's 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 pretty shredded above and beyond um one thing i'm wondering is so one of the narratives on him going into this draft process was or during this draft process was he's a he's a riser in the draft and for some people that can make them nervous and i always try to explain to people players typically aren't draft risers in the sense that what they've done over the after the season is definitively moving them up it's that the scouting community or the fans the, the 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 public pundits as it were are late catching up to this player. I mean, we don't call Mac Jones a one-year wonder, right? I mean, even though he basically he did the same thing at Alabama, just had the one year, but the quarterback is, is gets more attention. And I'm wondering also with this year, Jamin obviously was not uh, was not a, a primary contributor per se prior to this year. And then you have this pandemic, scouts can't be as on hand as, as they would be normally. Could, could you kind of tell during the season, I guess that one, he was making the strides to maybe get in his position, but that two, teams just were not aware of it the way maybe they were with, say, uh, some of your other guys uh, over the years? Well, that, that's, a, that's a great comparison, you know, when you talk about it with a, a player like Mac or one of the other guys that maybe don't have as much film, you know, early on. But but Jamin um, certainly was very well known to us. He, he just hadn't played a whole bunch. Um, and with COVID, I think that definitely did hurt uh, you know, as far as the scouts, seeing him early on during camp and things of that nature. Uh, but Jamin has worked hard for a long time. 
and uh, it's been in our program developing and working hard, getting better. Uh, but you're right, uh, he played good and got better as the season went on. If you look at him game one and you look at him through the bowl game, you know, he, he did things right in practice exceptionally hard. He got better with every rep in practice. He got better with every game. He played his best football at the end of the year. And then you look at what he did, you know, after, you know, you know uh, postseason with, with his workouts and things of that nature. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you know, to me, he didn't come out of the woodwork. You know, I knew he was a great football player. How high he goes, I never know. You know what I mean? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't try to figure out what the NFL is looking for. I know we just try to develop our players in all areas of their life and as hard as we can each and every day. And Jamin's a great example of that. He came in every day and got them. And that's just the truth. I, I, you know, I think coaches use that as a cliche sometimes, but I can promise you uh, with Jamin, every day he was here, he worked exceptionally hard to become a better person and to become a better player. And he did that. Um, I mentioned he's the third first round linebacker that you've had now in recent years. Those other two guys are more edge guys, I guess you could say. And Jamin's looks like more of a traditional linebacker. Washington goes with a four, three base. And then like everybody else, these days, they, they take a linebacker off the field for sub packages. I think the goal is obviously for Jamin to stay on the field throughout. Uh, I'm sure you talked to uh, tons of coaches uh, throughout this process, probably even Ron Rivera, who's made it, who made it very clear to us that he became a big fan of, of Jamin on as a player as well as a, as a person but in terms of a linebacker I mean I'm sure he's versatile enough to sort of play all over the place but what's your view as a guy who's this is it's defense is your side of the ball beyond being the head coach what what do you see for Jamin either both initially as maybe a role and then just over time what type of linebacker he potentially uh, could could be could become yeah I, I I love his length and inside you know I think he, he's obviously just look at his numbers Athletically, it's uh, kind of amazing some of the things he can do. Uh, but he has that great length um, to, you know, to be a, a very impactful inside linebacker. Um, we did, uh, you know, at times practice him outside. Uh, he has that explosiveness, uh, that speed. Um, you know, it can become a great uh, pass rusher as well. Uh, but I see him inside, you know, and that's the nice thing I think he played. Either inside position, be interchangeable there. Uh, he did that for us. He learned both uh, inside positions, uh, became very versatile, um, and work exceptionally hard. And uh, he'll play wherever they ask him to play, and he'll do it uh, to the best of his ability because he's a team player. Um, that's the big thing, uh, you know, that you that you need to talk about as well. He, he's got a great kind of nature about him. Uh, but uh, he's also a team player, and he'll do whatever you ask him to do. Um, so there's the, for any player, there's the athletic traits, and that's obviously very important, but there's also the instincts. And I'm always fascinated by this aspect in the sense of, can instincts be developed? Are they something that, you know, you, you see some uh, great athletes, I was thinking of this of NBA players, guys who clearly can jump out of the gym, but don't really have a, a fundamental understanding of what's happening. Um, when Ron Rivera told us, when they announced the Jamin Davis pick, he cited that Tennessee interception um, that, that Jamin had with a long return for a touchdown. And um, I don't know when the last time you saw that play, but I imagine it was one that, that stood out. And when you watch that play, you know, it, it's Jamin looking back, you know, look, looking at looking at the ball, making a play on it, and then obviously running up the field. And that, to me, showed some good instincts. And I'm wondering, as a guy who 
was you know maybe a bit of a raw prospect. Did you see those some of those instincts in him early, or and if not, sort of how did he develop those um, over time? Uh, certainly uh, had good instincts all along, but again, I think he's a guy that that, that you can't discount how hard he works. He wants to be a great player for himself, but most importantly for his team, and in this case, his organization. Um, you know, he'll he'll do whatever is necessary. He'll put in the time. He's always up there studying. Uh, you know, that was a, obviously a big play in the game. And you look at the bowl game, he had a big interception uh, in a critical moment as well. Uh, that really helped us. So, uh, you know, just he, he's the whole package. Um, you know, he's going to work exceptionally hard. He has great instincts and obviously he has that athleticism that we talked about before. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about somebody else who had tremendous instincts as a player and was a, another first round pick by this organization. Part of your illustrious resume is you were the defensive backs coach with the University of Miami from 2001 to 2003, which means you were there for Sean Taylor's uh, time, 2003, Sean Taylor, Big East Defensive Player of the Year, first team All-American. The next year, you you, you moved on with your career, and Sean Taylor obviously came to the NFL. Um, obviously, he's, you know, he's an, he's an all-time legend here, and, and you know, and, uh, you know, every year when, when, when we come up on his uh, – on his, on, on his track, the, the end of his uh, tragic end of, of his life. It's always a good time to remember, especially as we get into the draft and, and I, I, people just always still want to know more about Sean Taylor. I, I remember personally, the, the game that stood out to me, the one that I was, that began flipping out <laughs> over this kid was, I want to say it was the 2003 Fiesta bowl against Ohio state when he's, I guess a sophomore. And it's one thing to see a defensive player dominate the field, but typically that's like the pass rusher you can't stop. It doesn't seem like it's always the defensive back who's everywhere. But I just remember there was something about his instincts. He had having two interceptions in the game against uh, Craig Krenzel, the Ohio State quarterback, and it just felt like there was something different there. And I, for the next year, as this is when I was a fan of the team, wanted him. That was the guy for me that I thought made sense, obviously – you know, it, it, that connection worked out. What, what do you remember about your time with, with Sean Taylor, both the player that I'm talking about, but also the person? Yeah, it, you know, I was blessed to have Sean for his entire uh, college career. And, um, you know, so many people ask me that. I've been very blessed to have so many first-round draft picks and, you know, fantastic players that I had the opportunity to coach. Um and, you know, Sean was just uh, beyond special. You know, he was, you know, in my opinion, you know, on track to be, you know, maybe the greatest to ever play. And I hate, I, 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 I've got to be very hesitant, you know, because Ed was one of my guys as well. Ed Reed and Ed and Sean were actually on the same team one year. Um, so uh, Ed was a senior when Sean was a freshman. So uh, we had a pretty talented uh, group. I want to say I had six first-round picks in my second year that year. Uh, and so, uh, but, uh, you know, Ed, you know, obviously a first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, in my opinion, the greatest, you know, safety to ever play. Uh, but Sean would have been right on his heels, you know. He was very driven. I remember seeing him in the offseason after his rookie year there in Washington and seeing him back home in training. And I, and I saw a different version of him. You got to realize he came out of Miami. He left after five semesters. I mean, that, that's a quick turnaround to be that high of a pick and to you know, play at that level 
as a rookie, and then um, his sophomore season, his second season there, if I'm not mistaken, uh, up until the, the tragedy and up until his injury prior to the tragedy. Uh, I believe he was leading the NFL in interceptions, but I remember seeing that offseason after his rookie year and, and, uh, and just a switch going off and him saying, Coach, I will be dominant. Like, I, I'm ready to take this to another level. And, uh, you know, was just so proud of him, so, you know, happy for him. And then, uh, you know, to have that tragic and, um, you know, still hurts us all. Um, but of all the players that have been around, been around some great ones, uh, he was just, uh, just a different dude, just on another level of athleticism. And, um, you know, and just a wonderful person to be around. And uh, just, I remember that big smile and, and you know, and, uh, and just having an unbelievable confidence, but so, so, so talented. Um, you remember that game, which stood out, but I also remember we were playing uh, Pitt and, and we couldn't stop Fitzgerald. And we always had the best secondary in the country. And, uh, you know, we, we were having trouble, which a lot of people still do, having, having, having a, a hard time covering Fitzgerald. And Sean was like, I'll, I'll go check it out in the, in the red zone because we just couldn't guard him. You know, the guys are breathing stillness. But, uh, but I remember Sean going out there and having some good battles with him many other games, uh, you know, just a special talent, a lot of fun to coach, and, you know, one of my favorites, and we miss him dearly. Coach Stoops, I really appreciate your time. Thanks again, and, uh, you know, look, if, if uh, Jamie Davis will be around here for, for a long minute, hopefully we can have a chance to uh, talk again. Yes, sir, anytime. Thank you. Thank you, and you got a great morning, Jamie. All right, so we go from talking to a man in Kentucky to a man – in the UK, you know him, you love him. He is Washington football film guru, Mark Bullock, uh, a man who is knee deep in his uh, film reviews of all the, the draft picks. Unfortunately, people, I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint you up front. Mark has not reviewed the long snapper yet. So we're going to have to hold off on that analysis. I like legitimately want to know your analysis. Like, like at that point, like, do you actually look at the snap, the spiral or the snaps or the placement? Do you chart like how many times the ball is in the right quadrant, the left? I don't know, whatever it is. I really want to know that at some point. But more importantly, uh, how, how, how are we doing? You, you survived another draft season. How, how are we doing? Yeah, just about surviving another draft season. Uh, it was a little bit shaky in terms of sleep over the weekend, uh, but uh catching up now um especially you know with the draft starting it so late for you guys in the what is it 8 p.m over there the first round starts it, or it was kind of 8 30 when it started over there so that's half one in the morning for us so um yeah ended up being quite a few late nights but other than that i've uh, managed to get through it yeah yeah i can i can imagine yeah it definitely was late here especially writing afterwards and then so i can imagine for you um I, I, I said this in the intro, but just as a reminder, go check out what everything Mark's doing uh, with all these prospects. You can go check out his past work as well on the team, markbullock.substack.com. Um, I want to talk about Jamin Davis as a follow-up to uh, Coach Stoops, and I want to get into maybe some of the other picks as well, but just for just to shake it up and do something not drafty for the moment. So since I did a podcast, I, what is today? Today's Thursday. I don't Thursday. know what's going on here. I think I, well, I think I, I, uh, yeah, two, Tuesday after, wait, well, whatever. 
but one I did earlier this week with Michael <laughs> Phillips and Jared Patterson. Since then, um, we had this sort of odd uh, news break through the team website because Jack Del Rio talked to Julie Donaldson and I just read what the article was. I didn't watch the interview, but basically it said, okay, just want to make it clear here. Landon Collins is a strong safety. And Jack Del Rio said, yeah, yeah, we maybe want to lose a little bit of weight, but other than that, he's the strong safety of this team. Now, obviously this, it's interesting, right? This comes out in part because I mean, it's, it's, it's such an odd statement. If you had been asleep for the last year, you might be like, I don't understand why, why is anybody saying that Landon Collins is a strong safety? So I guess first and foremost, I would say this, that they felt compelled to say it would lead one to believe they were at least contemplating that he may not be one. There's no reason, if you don't care about what the outside world is saying, right, then there's no need to say it. They're not going to, they're not going to come out and say, uh, Terry McLaurin's a wide receiver. Sure. Right. You know, so, uh, that I think is not nothing. Now at the same point, I've been very frustrated because it's a constant conversation about this. And it similar reminds me a little bit of, will they draft a quarterback discussion? Of course, nothing is an absolute. There's always a possibility for anything. And this one would be a bit of extreme, obviously, to take a guy who's making Landon Collins' money with his pedigree and say, we're going to shift position. But look, if the world had worked out in a certain way, we're saying the first round, instead of drafting Jamin Davis, they draft, I'm just making this up, Christian Darisol, the, the Virginia Tech offensive tackle. And in the second round, they, they, they drafted, say, Javon Holland, the safety from Oregon that I had mentioned they liked, but he went significantly earlier around. Let's just say that it happened. And then at no point did they really draft a linebacker until maybe like somebody in day three as, a, you know, as like a special teams guy, right? Okay, well, now you have like this Cam Curl, this Javon Holland and Landon Collins. How do you get your best players on the field? I think that would be the goal. I think it's the goal always. How do you get your best players on the field? So maybe at that point, maybe you have to think to yourself, well, how do we maximize that? And if that would mean in the, in the sub package, basically playing all of them. And if you want to therefore classify Landon Collins or somebody as the linebacker, I, you know, if that's the thing, fine. But like the odds of any of these things happening were pretty limited and pretty small. So I just get annoyed that we constantly talk about these things and like, oh, I, it was such delight. It's going to happen. We waste so much time on something that's a relative long shot. It's fine to mention it and consider it. And Landon Collins had some struggles. In any event, that's the deal. He's not going to, I was, I mean, assuming Jack Lorio is telling the truth, he's going to play strong safety. So I don't know if you were annoyed or miffed. You, you live in the football team Twitter more than I do, I think. So maybe you were, maybe you weren't. I don't know. But it was just, it was just one of those topics that was annoying me personally over the last few weeks. At least in theory, we have some resolution, but with maybe some insight that they were at least open to it, perhaps, depending on what else had happened. Yeah, I think the interesting thing for me is that um, Collins himself had kind of laughed off the idea that he would move to linebacker uh, with his, his Instagram post earlier in the offseason. And then when Ron Rivera was asked about that in a presser earlier this year before the draft, he said, no, that was Landon's view. That wasn't ours. And we're going to find a way to get our best players on the field, which kind of left the door open. And then Del Rio had his interview yesterday and, and pretty pretty firmly said, no, he's a strong safety. And, and the fact that he mentioned that he wants him to lose weight and come in a little bit lighter, that that's certainly not a thing you ask of a uh, of a linebacker or of a safety converting to linebacker. So um, for me, that confirms all beyond all doubt that he's what they view as a strong safety. And, and you know, that's fine. Uh, if 
in certain situations, the strong safety will act a lot like a linebacker. Um, but in certain situations, a linebacker is a very different role than a safety. So, um, yeah, I, I, I never fully saw him becoming a linebacker. Um, and so I, I guess I'm kind of happy that that, that question that kept cropping up, um, I guess, is over. But I, can, I think it kind of just shifts the topic of conversation from is Collins going to play linebacker or strong safety to, well, how does Cam Curl fit in? Because Del Rio certainly made it seem like Landon Collins is their guy at strong safety. Yes, I think I think you're correct. So, right. So now we can move off of that topic, which, and, and again, there's, this, oh, there's just too many other factors. There's the politics of it. I mean, if I would have been more, I would have been more, um, I would have been less surprised if somehow they had decided to make him a June one cut versus like moving him to linebacker because moving the linebacker would cause a lot of problems he's not going to want to do it you got the politics of it he makes a lot of money i mean like there's just a lot of things if they decide you know what we do have cam curl especially if they had drafted a safety and look the free agency is still happening they they, they made a couple of uh, minor signings yesterday for depth um for for training camp purposes uh a tight end Deion yelder and a cornerback um uh so but again, I'm not saying I was expecting that either. And Ron Rivera said he's, you know, excited to have him back and all that kind of stuff. So that would have been thing. But you're right. Now it shifts to, okay, fine. Now he's a, he's a strong safety. And Del Rio said in the same you know, interview that Cam Curl more or less will be in the role he was in when Collins was um, there in the, like this uh, Buffalo nickel, but like some could play some free safety and, yep. and, and, and deal some other things. <clears throat> excuse me um so now that's the question right how do you maximize the situation if the goal is on some level to get your best players on the field they don't really have i mean their free safety is the one hole i would argue that they still have if you if you believe they needed an upgrade over the jeremy reeves the shazer ever troy Apney situation and i think they thought they did but can't always get can't solve all your issues and again there's free agency still we'll see um what, well, what do you do? Well, an obvious thing everybody would say is play these two guys together. And because Cam Curl has cornerback skills or experience from college, it does seem logical that, well, maybe he could play that. I guess the sense I've had from some people is that he just maybe doesn't have the flat out speed to play the, the deep center field. But if yeah. he maybe went with a more split uh, situation that you could do that now, I don't know if that's how you want to use Landon Collins. So I guess that becomes the question. So I guess to, to your film watching eye like as it stands now with the group of safeties that they have you need to include the cornerbacks in the discussion that's fine but based on the group of safeties that that are here what do you think is the better scenario the sort of Reeves Everett Apke I, I'm using Apke loosely but whatever uh, yeah sure <laughs> those one of those three guys with Collins and then Curl is the the big nickel with the position that's going to play a fair amount because they, they use sub packages a lot or curl collins and then the reeves everett person is just more depth play what what do you think is a more realistic scenario based on you know, how you watch them play yeah I, I think a lot of it depends on what kind of coverages they want to run I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head where um cam curl was more of a free safety coming out of college as you said he was a cornerback transitioning to safety and typically those guys transition to free safety rather than strong safety um, because the free safety plays out of the box. They play more coverage stuff than fitting in the run in the box. Um, and, and that's more quarterback skills. Um, so um, 
there is a possibility for him to play that, but he doesn't necessarily have the range that you want, as you said, as a center fielder in a, in a single high safety coverage. So the cover three kind of stuff, which they play a lot of, if they want to play more man coverage, which um, which we could get into, I, I think they they probably do, judging by the corners that they've signed and, and brought in with William Jackson and, and Benjamin St. Juice, those guys being both press man corners. Um, that to me says that, they want to play more man coverage and if that's what they want to do you, you, unless they want to play two two man with two deep safeties which not many teams play a lot of um uh, most teams would play, play cover one with just one uh safety in the middle of the field um then i don't think that's the i don't think that's the kind of thing that cam Carroll will do well at um or, or he can do okay at, but I think he would excel better in other areas, a lot closer to the line of scrimmage as we kind of saw last year. Um, so I think if they want to go back to playing quarters like we played last year and cover two and, and, and that kind of thing, Landon Collins can hold up playing a deep half or a deep quarter um, just fine. Uh, and Cam Curl certainly can hold that up. So um, at that point, this if, if you're playing a lot of quarters, the kind of the two, safeties are kind of interchangeable there's not really a a strong and a free safety it's more of a one's the right safety and one's the left safety um so that would kind of work but again that doesn't really match up with what they've done in terms of adding corners um the saint juiced and and william jackson those are guys that you don't want playing off there's they're guys you want playing on the line of scrimmage and jamming guys and and playing man coverage so um yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I think f- for me personally, I would let Carl and Collins battle it out for the starting strong safety role. And I, and I think based on play last year, Carl would win that, but Collins might come back strong. I, I still don't think Collins is done. I think Collins is still a good player. So um, I, he could easily win that. And, and then you have the other guy play, as you said, the, the Buffalo nickel role, which is the big nickel role. Um, and, and maybe in base packages, you play two split safety looks, you play quarters, and then you let Cam Curl play as your free safety. And then maybe in nickel packages, Curl can move down towards the line of scrimmage in the, in the Buffalo nickel role, and they can put Jeremy Reeves back there or, God forbid, Troy Apke back there or, or sign a Trey Boston or whoever they want. The safety that Miami just released today, he played a deep safety role last year so maybe they bring him in um any other safety they could play in the center field uh, uh, with a bit of range um so for me i think that's how i personally would go around it um and and then then you can kind of get the best of both worlds where they're both on the field in base packages you can play quarters and then when you're on third down you want to play man uh you get your best out of your william jackson and your saint juiced and, and um cam crock and line up on the slot or a tight end and Collins can cover a running back and you've got a center field free safety behind them. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, we talk about so much in terms of positions, obviously you're talking about it from like a technical perspective, which is you know important, but on some level, there's something to be said for, we have to get our best players out on the field. And when you consider that, you know, I don't, obviously we can't sit here and say like with the, the, the you know, Benjamin St. Juice, like where he is, you know, obviously he's got a lot of intrigue at 6'3 and his length. And and could he be the sort of the third outside cornerback? But if that's the case, and you think if at some point he becomes interesting enough, you know, could you move Kendall Fuller more to this 
free safety slot role or something like like that, which we've all discussed in, in various capacities. Like I, that to me is always, if we're going to talk position switch, it doesn't I mean he get, you just signed him to be a corner. So I wouldn't say that would be done, but that's always when I was kind of thought, you know, could you draft, if you're going to draft a corner high in the draft, could that be something to do to maximize um, all, 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 all your talent? Somehow at the end of the day, if you're going to have five defensive backs on the field, it doesn't seem logical that you would have three safeties based on the, the group that we have. But at the same point, if Cam Curl is going to be in that role, you know, I guess it's to a degree, it's him competing with Jimmy Moreland, I guess, if we're calling it the nickel and therefore Reeves would be out there or Everett. And that's where I think it gets interesting is like, if the goal is on some of we'll get our five guys out on the field, how do we, how do we do that? So I, you know, and in any event, we, we, we've got obviously loads of time to discuss that and, and we'll see what other happens. I mean, everything we're discussing now, just like we did earlier in free agency, it's all based on not knowing what else is going to happen. Um, you know, yeah, we, I, I was, I would just add to that. Like we're discussing this, like it's a huge problem. It, it's a good problem for Washington to have. They have good players. They, it, they hit on a seventh round pick in Cam Curl last year. And, and he happened to outplay a safety that they're paying a ton of money. And that, like, that's not a bad thing. And, and like, if, if, um, if Collins can come back healthy from his injury and, and go back to, the level of performance that got him paid that money then it's a good problem to have they have depth and and that's something that washington hasn't had especially at safety of all positions they they've never had depth at safety so um getting depth at, in in the secondary and having good players is not a bad thing as, as much as this argument can cause some heated debate of oh carl needs to play and collins is bad or collins needs to play and, and carl needs to play this other role like it'll they'll figure it out and it's it i don't think it's a issue it's a it's a it's a good thing to work through and then the competition will help improve everyone as rivera always says i mean look if you're going to come in with a reasonable thinking approach to this as opposed <laughs> to just screaming and yelling and saying Landon collins stinks he's got to get out of here and cam curls the best safety ever if you're going to do that i don't know what i don't really know how to discuss this with you because I'm, I'm only used to at this point hot takes and that's why uh that's why my head hurts with with all this uh with with all this uh talk but yes um so speaking of that and and i just you know as i said i talked to um coach stoops from kentucky about jamin davis but part of it also he was sean taylor's position coach so we talked a little bit about about that as well but in so just to go down to jamin davis so you've obviously now i mean it, we, we already all had a sense that Jamie Davis could be in play or logically could be in play. So it's not like a complete out of the blue uh, possibility. So you'd already kind of looked at him, I'm sure, but now it's here. Now it happened. Um, what, 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 I guess, what, from your perspective, what's the thing that stands out the most? Like, I think it would be easy to say, right. Once he figures it out, if he figures it out, just because, you know, things happen, but once he figures it out, he's the best linebacker they have. I mean, based on potential at least now, maybe that's not, he's the best one in, in year one, but based on potential and upside, he offers that. So what, when, now that he's here behind this line and with the secondary and all that stuff, like what stands out to you about the most interesting aspect, I guess, of what he may be able to do for them. If not, if not immediately, at least over time. Um, I think for me, the, the interesting aspect for is, how well he can develop against the run um and 
when I watched him before the draft, uh, obviously you see the athleticism, you see the 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 natural feel for playing zone coverages, um, the ability to turn and run with a guy like Kyle Pitts um, up the seam or on deep overs or whatever. Um, like those those are obviously standout traits, and and that's the the way of the modern NFL. Um, but being able to play the run is still important for a linebacker and being able to not just play the run, but understand different run schemes and how as a linebacker, you might have to fit one, you might have more than one gap that you're responsible for. You might have to, at one point you're fitting the A gap, but then they pull their guard to the other side of the line and you've suddenly got to scrape to the other side of the line and, and fit a gap outside. Like that takes time to learn and understand. And at first, I wasn't sure about Davis's ability to do that. Um, I think when I went back and watched him and, and looked more detail at how he was fitting runs, I, I actually thought he did a pretty good job of understanding how to fit his gap and, and how to fall back into other gaps if he needed to to, to stop running plays from hitting big. Um, for me, he does... Uh, Rivera's made a, a big point of saying they need him to get better with his hands and he does struggle when he gets caught on blocks because he is a smaller guy and that's kind of how the typical kind of modern linebacker is is that they're smaller and they they struggle when they take on linemen that have got 50 60 70 pounds on them so um I think for me the intri intrigue is in coverage, I think he will be fine. Um, I, that's something that comes natural to him because of his athleticism. I think the run side of things is what will, if he's getting completely blown up in the run game, like that was an issue for them last year, that they couldn't contain the run game very well because the linebackers weren't always fitting properly. Um, and I think he can improve that. But if he is getting caught on blocks and, and getting knocked out of his gap, then obviously that's still an issue and that doesn't help improve the defense. Um, and then if you can't trust the guy in the run game, then then he becomes a one-way player and, and that becomes an issue. So uh, I, I'm for me, the interest is how he can develop and, and getting off blocks and, and shedding blocks. And he has the length um, to be able to keep those bigger interior linemen off of him. Um, so he just needs to learn to use that. Uh, uh, but I, I think he'll get there. Um, It'll just be interesting to see how quickly he does. Like if you're if you're if I, if I ask you to sketch out the 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 first down base lineup right now, where I mean, with regard regardless of the opponent, where, where how are you positioning the three linebackers? Um, I think I think they would have Holcomb as the Sam uh, or the strong side linebacker. They they'd have Bostic as the Mike or the middle, and they'd have. Um, Davis as the will or the weak side linebacker. And then that um, the weak side linebacker is, is typically more of a coverage guy and they're kind of um, typically the, the last one in the cleanup guy. They're, they're usually the guy that um, is the extra defender that the rest of the defense kind of funnels the run back towards. And then he's the guy that comes through without being blocked and then makes the tackle. And then that will, help him learn how to fit the runs and continue to improve fitting the runs without as much pressure to take on blocks um, straight away. So I think that is probably the path they will take. So if we assume that after next year, John Bostic is not around for argument's sure. sake, 
does Davis, do you think like ultimately he moves inside? I mean, again, if you're using a lot of sub packages then it's not like there's three linebackers on the field a ton, but since that's how, like when they come on the TV and they show you the lineup and they put the three guys out there yeah. or whatever, do you think ultimately that's because I, I mean, I guess sort of get a sense that that may be ultimately where people um, would think, but I, you know, I don't know, different, different strokes for different folks. What, what's your, what, what would you think is long-term scenarios? Yeah, I, I think he could potentially move into that role. Um, I, I don't know if it, if he necessarily would have to, um, but uh, they seem to like Cole Holcomb a lot. Um, and, and Jack Del Rio in that interview yesterday mentioned that he felt Holcomb was underrated in what he could do. Um, and, and they've constantly kind of sent out that message. Um, so clearly they rate Holcomb. And I, I think Holcomb could possibly kick inside and, and, and play some mic as well. I, I I think probably Davis probably fits that role a little bit better. Um, and, and Rivera said before the draft that Holcomb, they see him as kind of a, as a Sam that can play some will and, and they, 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 they like a will backer, a will linebacker that can kick inside to Mike. And, and so if that is where Davis is right now, if he starts as a will, then um, presumably they see him long-term as potentially kicking inside to the, to the Mike spot. Um, so yeah, I, I can see that for him in the future. Um, I, I don't necessarily necessarily believe that's the best path for him um, because that will linebacker spot will keep him a little bit more clean than the Mike spot will. Um, but if he develops, then great, and then he can he can play inside. Sure. Um, as the clock as the clock was ticking down and they were getting ready to pick, what was your what like? as the as the film guy what was your heart wanting did you want the linebacker or did you want something else you know i don't really know uh i i just because they have been kind of a bit boring for a while i was almost hoping that they would make a big move and trade up for a quarterback or something and, and then once that kind of kind of went i i uh i was almost expecting uh Awusu Koromoa um, or Darasol. Once Darasol was there, I thought they might have gone Darasol. Um, and I think he would have been a good pick, but um, I, I didn't hate the the, the Davis pick. And, and I can certainly see why they would value him uh, more than other teams potentially might. I, I think as a specific fit to this defense uh, with that, that front in front of him. Um, I, I think he fits probably a lot better and is a lot more valuable to Washington than he necessarily would be to other teams. I didn't hate the Davis pick. That's your blurb <laughs> for, for here, the, the endorsement um, from, from Mark Bullock. Uh, all right, let, let's get to uh, somebody else here from the draft. You, you've, uh, you have studied some of these guys. Um, obviously, we've talked now about Jamin Davis and, and uh, you know, the, 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 the day two guys to a degree, I mean, We'll, we'll we'll talk more about them, of course, but we have a little bit already um, with, uh, with with Bruce Feldman earlier in the week. But I'm sort of curious with regards to uh, John Bates, the tight end. I mean, the tight end position. Okay, so they they draft John Bates. They signed Samus Reyes a couple weeks ago, and that's obviously an interesting story in and of itself. They just added another free agent, uh, or a free agent tight end, Yelder, who was with the Chiefs the last three years, but he had you know 12 catches or something over his career. Not, not, nothing much. You know, if I said right now, like, what's the tight end room? I think it's Logan Thomas. You spend a fourth round pick on Bates. I'm going to have to guess he's there. And then I, the third guy could be a host of different people. 
but by and large, I, it is an, it is still a room that has a lot of uncertainty. Except, I guess, if Bates comes in and does really well, and I, you know, my um, he was he was a name that was mentioned in my uh, pre-draft uh, seven round mock that I did three ways. He was one of the names mentioned, but in like the seventh round because I was more or less going off of what Dame Brugler had him rated, you know, in the two hundreds. I want to say so that was my. I was aware of the name, but that was my thought for him. So when they picked him in the fourth round, I was like, I, I wasn't saying that they reached because it's only his opinion, but I, I, okay, that seemed early based on what I was thinking, but I don't know. But since then, what I've heard from people is people are fans. Uh, people seem to like him. Um, and this for a guy who barely caught any passes at Boise State, which is how we typically look at these things. Even if somebody's a really good blocker, okay, I mean, you know, how good are we talking about here that we're going to overlook barely catching the ball why did he barely catch the ball but even within that it's a it sounds like people are saying he was just maybe underutilized he's shown enough he's, he's shown enough traits to say oh that he could be a pass catcher so on and so on um what is your sense of mr bates and what he um might do for these guys if you know sooner than later yeah i i'm kind of in the same boat as you when, when I, I i i feel like they probably reached a little bit for him um and you know on day three i don't hate that um uh, i i probably would say after watching him that he's probably more of a fifth or a sixth round player but in a in a draft that is hit by the virus and and more players going to be or less players available to pick from and harder to study and what have you that um a, a fourth round pick is probably fairly similar to a fifth or sixth round pick in this draft class so um i I don't hate it and 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 this staff with how they kind of nailed logan thomas and the tight ends they've developed over the years in carolina they kind of i feel like they've earned the benefit of the doubt um so i i don't hate the pick uh again but for for me i i feel like he's been kind of hyped up as this really good blocking tight end and i didn't see that um i I saw an okay blocker um against the lower level competition but when i watched him um in 2019 against the the washington huskies in in the bowl game that boise state played against them he got torn apart as a blocker um and whenever he was asked to block an edge defender or a linebacker he would get knocked over or bulldozed or tossed aside or whatever and and the player he was meant to block would end up making the tackle. So um, when he played against a better level, level of competition, I didn't see him as this great blocker. I, I saw him as someone struggling. Now I, he has the frame to become a good blocker. He's 6'5", 250. And he looks like he could probably put on a, a little bit more weight than that to help him as a blocker. But um, he also needs technique work. Um, I, I think the intrigue with him, as you mentioned, was his ability as a pass catcher. Um, he didn't catch many passes, but um, that I would guess is down to he's not the most athletic guy. Um, he, he, and, and that shows up when you watch him as well. He's, he's not fast. He, he's very slow and, and looks quite laborious when he's trying to run certain routes and doesn't really create much separation. But what he does offer is great ball skills. He, he does a really good job tracking the ball. He does a really good job. Um, adjusting to throws in the air and, and making some of the kind of highlight real catches over the top of defenders or um, 
to back shoulder throws and that kind of thing. So uh, there is certainly something to work with there as, as a receiving tight end. And I, I think that can be developed um, and worked upon, um, especially in this offense where they ask the tight ends to, to work a little bit more vertical than horizontally. And that probably suits him. He's, he's a bit of a build up speed kind of guy. Um, and so if he's working up the seam, um, that's where he can get up to speed and start to threaten the defense a little bit more. And when he's up the scene because of his catch radius, he can, he can make good catches over the top of a linebacker trying to run up there with him or hold on to catches with a safety incoming and, and trying to land a big hit. So um, I think that's where the intrigue is with him. Um, I, I'm not as high on him as all the other people seem to be, um, but uh, I, I, as I said, I, I think this staff in particular has has earned the benefit of the doubt with the tight end position, um, with what they've done in the past, and most recently with Logan Thomas, but in the past with Caroline as well. They, they have a good, pretty good track record with tight ends. Um, I have a surprise topic for you. Would you like to discuss something just out of the blue? Sure. So I can confirm that Washington is bringing in Charles Leno, the Bears tackle that just got cut. Right. He was, uh, he'd made, uh, looking here, I mean, he had made like 93 consecutive starts for the Bears and he got cut after they drafted uh, Tevin Jenkins. He's 29. Uh, you know, if we had said pre-draft that this is the type of thing they would have done, you'd been like, well, okay. I mean, we're right. I mean, we've talked about a lot about it, uh, about the need for an upgrade at uh, a tackle and, and so on. <laughs> But I mean, at some point, like how many guys do they do they have? They have right now, like I talked about this the other day, uh, between left tackle and left guard, you have Cornelius Lucas and Sam Cosme. You have Eric Flowers and Wes Schweitzer. You have Sadiq Charles somewhere floating between the two. Now, you still we're all assuming Brandon Scherf is coming back, even if it's just on the one year, that there's not something bigger happening with that, as far as I, mean, I haven't heard anything definitely or anything so there's that and then obviously morgan moses a tackle chase rie center plus i mean you know there's other guys like keith ismail and tyler larson as backups so okay i mean is is leno a better left tackle than what they have i'm, I'm not asked if you know go ahead i i'm not gonna sit here and definitively tell you my assumption he, would be that the answer is yes yes uh, better 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 than lucas and better obviously than a rookie who who they don't know uh, yeah. about yet and Cosme um but at the same point it's just a it's just interesting that that is happening uh what uh again I don't know how much you were paying attention if you looked at him uh much I didn't after he got released just because it just didn't I just didn't get the sense that you know that they would but here we are so uh I, like I said I'm sort of confused more about the 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 the, the, the sheer volume of people than I am yeah. the player is better than than what they have yeah, it's a bit of a logjam on the offensive line. Um, I haven't watched a great deal of him. I have seen a little bit of him. He certainly would be better as a starting option this year than probably anything they've got right now, um, which I guess is why they're interested, because I guess they feel like they've got a, a pretty complete roster and, and having a, a guy that can come in and start at left tackle and, and give Cosme, who I think is a little bit raw, um, a chance to develop a little bit more um i i don't i don't think that's necessarily a bad move uh whether it's necessary because 
as you said, that they've got Lucas. Um, he, he, I mean, obviously, Lucas was the backup to Leno in Chicago. So clearly Chicago thought Leno was uh, was a, a better tackle, and that's why they let Lucas go. Um, and I, I would imagine Washington feels the same way, which is why they're bringing him in. Um, but I don't think they would want to lose Lucas either because he's a valuable backup swing tackle. So I, I would guess it, it would mean the end of the Grand Christian experiment. Um, and it would mean that either they don't believe Cosme is ready to start right away, um, or they want to take all pressure off Cosme starting and give him a chance to really learn the position and, and develop um, because I felt when I watched him, he had um, some significant issues with, with his footwork and um, sometimes with, with hands, although he, he does have good technique with his hands, they can be improved as well. Um, but certainly his footwork um, was an issue and, and that maybe they believe that will take longer than just one training camp to sort out. Um, so while they develop him, maybe they give Leno a, one-year deal and say, look, start at that tackle for us for one year. We'll let Cosme develop behind you and then you can hit free agency next year and, and get a good payday when people are looking for left tackles as opposed to after the draft when everyone's kind of taking their stance on on where they are with left tackle. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting for sure, I'm. I'm. I'm uh, you, you can hear my wheels grinding uh, right now. Hopefully, my mic is picking that up for you all to entertain you. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 interesting. I mean, you know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we'll I'll, I'll I'll stop uh, pausing there just to and just to let you um, talk. But any um, before I let you go, anything else? Uh, related to this team anything any one thing that stood out to you whether it was one of these picks something maybe something they didn't do something that as you were watching the draft and having studied some guys you thought boy i would wish they had kind of done that or just no, looking at the team as you do thinking boy they didn't you know this is still like like to me like i said i think free safety is arguably the still the biggest need and like i said the, the, the tight end situation is a draft one but it feels like there's still like some level of uncertainty but okay that's, i guess with any rookie you're gonna have that and then um and, and all that but whatever it doesn't have to be a negative thing it could be a positive thing is there something that just stood out to you after everything that we've, we've experienced here in the last few days yeah i, I liked that they were willing to go get a, a receiver and the receiver that they got um in brown i, I think he's a good one um and, and um i think he's someone that can contribute early and, and i've seen a lot of people comparing him to terry mclaurin and while there are some traits that are similar to McLaurin, um, he doesn't have the high-end speed, the, the elite speed that McLaurin has. And I, I don't see Brown as a as an ex-receiver, which is fine because McLaurin's their ex-receiver. Um, and, and for me, it, it makes me wonder whether how much of a role Humphreys will play this year. Um, because I think the idea going into the season was um, Samuel would play the the Z, Humphreys would play the slot, and McLaurin would play the X. And and now that they've drafted Brown, and I think he's a pretty good player. I think he's someone that could contribute early. Um, my question would be, how long is it before Brown comes in and takes the starting Z role 
or certainly in three receiver sets, plays the Z role and allows Curtis Samuel to move inside to the slot, which is where I think he's at his best inside rather than outside. So um, for me, I think um, although Adam Humphreys is obviously Ryan Fitzpatrick's guy and came with his recommendation, I, I think um, adding Brown gave them a lot of depth and options at receiver. Um, and I think he could have a significant impact early on. And I think that receiver group now becomes very interesting to see who makes the, the bottom end of the roster on that out of that kind of group of four or five receivers like Cam Sims, Stephen Sims, Calvin Harmon and, and um, Isaiah Wright and all those guys. Uh, I think that is a very interesting storyline for me um, going into training camp is to see who comes out of that um, still on the roster. Um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, there, there's a lot of interesting positions. Uh, yeah, I mean, receivers one for me, sure. That the, the offensive line was already an interesting one for me, especially on the left side. Well, only on the left side prior to whatever this thing is. Um, we didn't even get into the quarterbacks. Last thing I'll just ask you, we spent all this time discussing quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. They're going to trade up. They're going to draft one in day two, all these things. They end up doing nothing. Obviously, if you've listened to this, you know I'm not that surprised about any of that. But, okay, all that said, after you you looked at these guys. You, you saw that Justin Fields was at the 11th pick. Mac Jones was the 15th. That was at least in striking distance to possibly get them. And, obviously, they could have taken any of the quarterbacks on day two before they – instead of taking Cosme. Um, uh, you know, again, they already have three NFL quarterbacks on the roster. I've advocated there was no need to force it. But, all that said, would you have preferred they had forced it based on what you saw – that the, uh, that the guys that they could have had and then what they did and who they have? Um, I think of the guys that were available, the, the three that I liked, I, I liked Lance, but I figured he was probably going to be out of range. Um, I figured he might be the, the 49ers guy at three. Um, and I liked Fields. Um, and I thought with him falling, I thought they might have looked to deal up to seven, eight or nine to potentially go and get him. Um, but they didn't, and that's fine. For, for me, I've kind of made this point, certainly to you privately, that I feel like if you love a quarterback, you have to go and get him. And if you're not willing to trade up for him, then you don't really love a quarterback. And in that situation, if you're drafting a first-round quarterback, you have to love him. And if you don't, then you're not trading up for him, then you, you're, you're willing to let someone else go and get him in front of you. And, and if, he, if he's the guy that you think he is then you can't let someone else go and get him in front of you so I, I if they if they didn't love him then that's fine I'm not I'm fine with them passing on a first round quarterback um, I think logically it certainly made a lot of sense that if you're not going to go and get that first round quarterback that you think is your guy of the future then they already have two developmental guys on the roster I think you've made this point a lot with Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke they've, they've got two guys that they are relatively young, um, certainly from a quarterback's perspective, and they are developing them. They know the system, um, and the, the team certainly has confidence in, in their talents and their abilities. Um, then they, they didn't necessarily need to draft another guy. If you're not going to take one in the first round, then you don't need to draft another one. Um, so I agreed with that point. Um, I, I did like Davis Mills. Um, I felt there was a fair bit of talent there, and... I, and I thought perhaps if you're thinking of the future and you're taking a gamble and 
he's a clear upgrade over both Allen and Heineke, and, and you feel like in a year's time he's going to sit and develop behind Fitzpatrick and then potentially take over next year, then that would be worth the gamble. But I, I didn't love Carl Trask. I, I'd never really paid too much attention to any of the other guys. Um, so Davis Mills was the only one that kind of intrigued me after the, the top group, and clearly they didn't feel as intrigued enough to take him. And, and that's fine. I, I didn't hate that they passed on him. Um, I, I would have probably considered him, but he didn't fall to their sort of third round pick and, and, you know, it's fine. They, they didn't really miss out there. Yeah. And, you know, again, say it every time there will be an oppor- there will be opportunities going forward. You, you do need to eventually get a long-term answer quarterback. It just doesn't have to be today or in this case last week. Um, Mark, I appreciate it, especially carrying the last few minutes of this podcast while I was uh, trying to confirm news and and, and not have my brain break uh, all, all at once. Uh, go check out Mark's work over at Substack. Obviously, go follow him on Twitter at Mark Bullock NFL, right? Yep. Look yep. at that memory. Um, all right. <laughs> go check him out. Um, and uh, Mark, always appreciate it, my man. Always fun. Uh, always uh, happy to be on. All right, enough out of me. Thank you guys for checking out the podcast. Uh, of course, make sure you check out everything we did all week. Again, Bruce Feldman, Grant Paulson, Michael Phillips, uh, Jared Patterson, Mark Bullock, and Kentucky head coach Mark Stoops. Uh, a lot of guests, uh, more than I anticipated, but hey, we get we do what we do and uh, appreciate everybody sticking with us, enjoying the podcast, and I really appreciate all the support, I, I swear. I do, I do, I do, as well as those of you who are subscribers to The Athletic. Uh, if you're, By the way, if you're a new subscriber, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter at, at Ben Standing. Shoot me an email, bstandig at theathletic.com. Let me know you joined. And, and if you, you know, I should always mention, you can always email me with any thoughts some of you have, and I appreciate that for sure. All right, that's it for this episode of the Standard Room Only Podcast. I'm out. See you.